a German theologian, uh, astronomer, I'm sorry. Well, he was a believer as well. Kepler, some of you may be familiar with that name, Johannes Kepler. He was also a fantastic mathematician. He was the one who found the three laws to describe how the planets revolved around the sun. Dr. Kepler said these words, the chief aim of all investigation of the external world should be to discover the rational order which has imposed, which was imposed on it by God. Let me read that again. The chief aim of all investigations of the external universe, science he's talking about, should be to discover the rational order which has been imposed on the creation, the universe, by God, and which he revealed to us in the language of mathematics so that we may be able to think God's thoughts after him. In his book, Jesus Among Secular Gods, Ravi Zacharias, Zacharias writes, the rise of secular gods present the most serious challenge to the absolute claims of Christ and those who are his followers. Christ in the worldview has not only been devalued and dismissed, but the modern culture, the modern culture, believes that there is no place for God, as one philosopher said, it is not that I don't want to believe in God, it's that I find no, necess no necessity for Him. So we live in a world that is challenging God. And while I, like Jude, if I may be so bold to say, I had ideas of going right into uh, the book of Malachi, but I somehow felt that God directed my attention to do what we are about to do. So the question I want to ask today and answer from the scriptures, and by the way, I am, while I might talk about what some scientists said, this is not a scientific class. The Bible is not a scientific book. The Bible is a moral book. It is a book of revelation. It's a book that deals with moral things, not with political things. The tragedy is that we have put that into it. But when we say, I believe in God, the question may be asked, but who is God? Do we have an answer to anyone who asks us if we really believe what we believe about what we believe? The Bible does not seek in any way to prove the existence of God. May I repeat that? The Bible does not seek to prove the existence of God. The Bible declares it. It doesn't ask for opinions as to whether it is. C.S. Lewis had a great line in my studies. I discovered this. He said, for, for someone, you remember when the, the astronauts, by the way, went up back in the 60s? And the Russian astronaut said, I went up there and I didn't see God. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, 
that's like Hamlet going to the attic to look for Shakespeare. <laughs> I love that. He can only know about Shakespeare because Shakespeare has made himself real. Peter said, we cannot see God, but evidence for God lives in so many ways. So let's begin with what Haley read to us this morning. By the way, when the Russian, when the American astronauts, by the way, the difference between the two countries, when the, the American astronauts had gone behind the sun, and they were coming from behind it, and they looked down on earth, one of them declared, in the beginning, God. There was no other explanation for what he was seeing. And the only logical explanation for what we are, for what we see and what we know, is that God exists. Let's begin by talking about God first of all. The Bible teaches that God is incomprehensible. But by being such, we are not saying that we are unable to comprehend at all. Theologically speaking, to say that God is incomprehensible is not to say that he is utterly unknowable. Deuteronomy 29, 29, one of my favorite texts in the Bible. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to God. But the things that are revealed are for us and for our children that we might know how to live in this world. The secret things belong to God. There are things about God that we will never know, but God has revealed things that we need to know so that we would not live ignorantly in the world in which we live. Let's begin then by thinking about four things that are distinct about God that is not true of any creature. First, God is a self-existing being. God is a self-existing being. Becoming is not of God. You and I become. I was thinking of this a week and a half ago. Our, our little girl turned 45. But she's no little girl anymore. <laughs> she's, a, she's a wife and a mother. She became a woman. But when we think of God, God did not begin. When the child asks, who created God? That's not a logical question. I'll tell you why it's not logical. Because God is not created. If God is created, then there's something greater than God. God exists, and we will go into that in, in, a, few, in a few minutes. He, he's a self-existing being. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. God made the world and all things in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not dwell. He's not a tribal God who dwells in a little part of outer space. He is not served 
Some translations have, he's not worship. The word means to serve, to hold, to make, to make possible to exist. God is not served with men's hands as though he needs anything. The rest of the verse I will talk about later on, it says, seeing that he gives life to everything. God is not sustained by anything created because before there was a creation, God existed within himself. That's what we mean by God being incomprehensible because for you and for me, everything we know depends upon something else or someone else. God depends upon nothing or no one for his existence. G. Campbell Morgan said of this verse, and I love it very much, that the philosophy of all that is discovered in, 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 his, in his own way, everything that can be known of what we just read in, in Acts 17 speaks of a transcendent God who is above all and beyond all. God is the only being whose existence depends upon nothing outside of himself to exist. One of these days, Steve and Kim will have to answer Kim's question, uh, Haley's question. If she has not already asked it, Mommy, where does God come from? How, how do you answer that? How can you, you can't say to her, sweetheart, God is the only uncaused cause. It won't make sense at all. You will have to say, we can't see God with our eyes, but the world in which we live demands a God like the Bible talks about. There is no other religion in the world that gives the explanation for existence apart from the Bible. And there are lots of them. So God self-exists. He does not depend. He does not cater or anything cater to him in order. God does not say, because of I. No. We'll see that in a minute. Self-existent being. Secondly, God is a self-conscious being. God is a self-conscious being. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Listen to this. Before me there was no God formed, nor can there be any after me. I, even I, first person pronoun, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Is there a God beside me? Listen to God now. Is there another rock? I do not know of any. God said to the prophet, as he spoke to him, I. And when he spoke to him, he didn't speak as though God brought messages from some other person to him. I am the one who speaks to you, and no one else can speak to you as I am speaking to you. I am conscious of who I am. We shall see in, in a minute when we read the rest of Genesis chapter 1 
God didn't get permission to bring the world, the universe, into existence. He just said, let there be. Let there be. God exists exclusively, exclusively and absolutely as a person who answers to no one outside of himself for who he is. He's a self-conscious God. He doesn't protect himself by saying, I have to protect myself from, from, from whatever, Lucifer. When the angels in heaven didn't want to keep their first estate, they were driven from God's presence. When Adam and Eve wanted to play God, God ex expelled them from the garden. That's why he said, you shall have no other gods before me. It's not that he's jealous, but if we worship anything other than God, we give our soul to something that is not real. Self-conscious being. Secondly, uh, thirdly, he's a self-determined, self-determined being. Even from eternity, I am the Lord and there is none who can deliver out of my hands. I act, and who can reverse it? God, when he speaks, I, I love this. I was thinking of this last night, just thinking about this. And God said, let there be, and there was. And when he created the creatures, which we shall see in a minute, he said, and let them bring forth after their kind so that when God created us, we didn't come from something other than what God said. I will make man, woman, in my image. Nobody could change that, even though we're trying to today. He's a self-determined being. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows he, he counsels God? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Talking about God. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Listen, friends. God is the only being who does not need to know because he knows everything. God, God, you know, have you ever thought of it? Someone says, 72 million years ago. And they say, something happened. Let me tell you. If the world is 72 million years old, if it is 72 billion years old, God existed before that. <laughs> God is a self-determined being. He does not consult out of himself to act. He does not get permission. One of the, one of the most amazing things to me the most amazing thing to me is that a creature is able to disobey God. 
I think that's one of the most amazing things. This God who gives us breath, who holds our lives. You know, I was, I'm reading through the book of Genesis again. And I'm, as I'm going through the book of Genesis, you know what I read? And this one was 970 years and he died. And this one was 972 years and he died. And this one was not, and on and on and on until you know where we are now? 70 and beauty of strength, 80. God says, the moment you sin, you shall die. And from that time, my friends, when man sin, man has been dying. See, see, see God, we are, we, are, we are free. We are free to disobey God, but we are not free to determine the consequences of our disobedience. God is the one who sets the standards. And I'll show you something else in, in a few minutes. The New Testament equivalent to what we just said about God being a self-determined God is seen in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and 3. It says this, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works out everything according to the purpose of his own will. Wow. Nobody can educate God. Nobody can say to God, you made a mistake here. <laughs> when, when, I would, when I was a young upstart, and my sisters would get on my nerves. I would say to them, the only mistake God ever made was to make you. I didn't say that for too long because I started to look in the mirror. God is a... Friends, I, I tell you, I tell you why this is important for us to know. Because Governor Cuomo thinks that he can use a pen and overturn what God has determined. I'll leave it right there. God is self-existing. God is self-conscious. God is self-determined. God, number four, is an eternal being. God is an eternal being. From everlasting to everlasting. That word everlasting is a tremendously unique word. Because what it means, from time without, without measurement, without beginning, to time beyond beginning, God is whom he has always been. I was listening to a favorite of mine this past week, Dr. R.C. Sproul, one of his uh, texts on this, this verse, <laughs> Dr. Swole said when he was a college student, he was studying philosophy, and he was told of one of the philosophers who made this grand statement. I mean, just, you will remember the statement for the rest of your life. Here's the statement. Whatever is, is. Isn't that brilliant? 
Whatever is, is. You know what that means in terms of God, friends? That the only one who is what he has always been is God. Nobody else. Everything outside of God is becoming. God is eternal, which means his attributes are eternal. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. I do not change. A.W. Tozer, I love this. Tozer said this. Time marks the beginning of created existence. And because God never had a beginning to exist. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to go into this. But if you know what the Latin is for existing, we would not use the term God exists. Because to exist means that something depends upon something else. And God does not depend upon anything else. That's, that's the, the Latin form of the word to exist. Very interesting term, which I said I wasn't going to use, but I did. So there you go. God never began to exist. Beginning can have no application to God. To begin is a time word and can have no personal meaning for the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Here is the incomprehensibility of God, friends. Nothing we know, neither from the past, the present, or the future, nothing we know has any of these attributes. So being can never be made to God because God is not a created being. Science must deal with what is already existing so they can observe it and come to conclusions. And the more we learn, the more we find out how much we do not know. Theologians, theologians describe this aspect of God from... from uh, Deuteronomy 29, they call it the hiddenness of God. The hiddenness of God. What does that mean? It means that before we could even think of the beginning of the first particle, interesting that, that uh, Art read that text from, from uh, Proverbs 8. Because wisdom in verbalizing its existence says that before God made the first particle, wisdom existed because wisdom is an attribute of God. And if wisdom is an attribute of God and God existed before time, then wisdom existed before time. And so, the hiddenness of God simply means that God exists outside of time. and We cannot comprehend God with our naked eyes, as we were singing this morning, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, head from our eyes. Why? We can't see him with our naked eyes, but by him being light, we see everything else as we ought to see. So then, we come to the evidence then. We know he exists. What are the evidences for his existence? 
the well-known philosopher, a man by the name of Immanuel Kant. Don't worry about this, but I love this, what he said. You ask me why I believe in God. There are two things that fill my mind with ever new and increasing admiration. Here are two reasons I believe in God. The one, the starry heavens above. The starry heavens above. When, when, when I look at that, I cannot believe that it came from rotten potatoes. That's about what evolution is. So it came from nothing. Immanuel Kant said, no, I can't, I can't begin to even think for a moment when I look at the starry skies. The second thing that makes me believe in God is the moral law within. The moral law within. I become conscious of wrong by doing wrong. That's why when someone does something wrong, they look for a place to hide. And the one thing they cannot get away with is with themselves. Let's consider the following then. The creation of the universe is an expression of the finger signature of God. Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens are saying, there's someone behind this. Uh, let me skip over a few things I have here. You might not know, but one of the best known atheists until 2004 in Britain was a man by the name of Anthony Flew. Whenever he was then what Richard Dawkins is today, Flew was the voice of atheism in the world, not only in Britain. But somehow Flew, in studying, in studying, had a Damascus experience in studying the universe. Listen to what he said. The only good explanation for the origin of life and the complexity of nature must be a supernatural mind. I, I, I came, see, that's, that's what Immanuel Kant was saying. I look at the starry sky and I say, who put it there? I, I, hope, I hope I can read this. G.K. Chesterton, who is one of my favorites, he said this, it is absurd, absurd, to complain that it is unthinkable for an unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then to pretend that it is more unthinkable that nothing should then turn itself into everything. You get that? We say it's unthinkable for God to, 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 to bring into, you know, God made everything by saying it. But now we're saying that nothing produced everything that God by fiat brought into existence. We contradict ourselves, don't we? And by the way, this is the first generation that knows how to live with contradictions. 
We look at black and call it white. We look at pink and call it yellow. Simply because, my friends, we are chartering our own path. The only logical explanation for the universe is that God created it. Because logic tells us that nothing cannot produce something. Logic tells us that. When, when, I made, when I put my first step in the United States, flying from Central America to go to school, I was, I, I, I was given a home that I could stop at overnight. And, and, and the, the morning after I had gotten there, I was, uh, I was outside, I, I guess. It was in Miami somewhere. And the neighbor saw me standing there and said, Good morning. And I said, good morning. I said, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> As I opened my mouth, he was able to tell that I was, I was not from here. Somehow, I betray my, my unknown origin by the way I answered. And my friends, as Kepler once said, that we investigate in order to discover. And the only reason we think we're going to discover because Kepler, like others, realized we live in a world that is rational. God made the universe so that it could be explored so that we might be able to think God's thoughts after him. Only a fool would look at what is and said that it comes from nothing. The language that we use sometimes betrays our stupidity. Again, C.S. Lewis, that the one who argues against the existence of God argues against the very one that makes it possible for him to argue at all. The heavens are declaring we were talking about that just a few days ago. Someone was talking about traveling down to Canada, uh, up to Canada in Banff and the mountain range. And we looked and saw those beautiful things and nobody ever said, nothing, you are just something. The creation of the universe is an evidence of God's existence. Secondly, the creatures, the creatures in the universe, you and me, the second part of what Immanuel Kant said, the rational law, the moral law in me, says that I did not just come into existence, I did not come from a baked potato. The moral law within is there because God made us in His image. God made us with the capacity to know that He exists. So that we might be able to think God's thoughts after Him. Listen to this. Listen to this. Acts 17. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives life to all mankind. 
He gives breath to everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind so that they might search after him. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege that we were not born or created in a vacuum. God made us with his moral law printed upon our consciences so that when we did what is wrong, we were, we were made aware of it. Think, think of that. I, I've used this before, but I couldn't think of a better one, and I have several, but I couldn't think of, of, of what Stephen Jay Gould, the paleontologist who now just died a few years ago, um, said of your existence and mine. L listen, compare Acts 17 to what this man says. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could be transformed into legs and terrestrial creatures. Because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. So thank you, lucky stars, he said. Because the earth never froze entirely during the ice age, because a small, tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook or by crook. Now, I love this statement. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exist. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. Aren't you glad you came from something that you can't explain? But friends, that man was a professor at Harvard. That man taught students around the world that kind of nonsense. That you are here because of some group of fishes with, I mean, that, that, you know, another one said spores were, 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 came from another planet to seed the earth, and so we came into existence. You know who said that? Dr. Craig, who is, who is the co-discoverer of the DNA. And he said, our existence is only due to spores that were, that were transported from another planet. And I, when I read that, I said, who made the other planet? Where did the other planet come from? In him we live and move and have our being. Dear friends, you and I are sitting in this place this morning in a universe that God has made uniquely for your existence and mine. That's why if a man is going out of space, he has to do all kinds of stuff. But come back to earth, and God has us in a universe that is made peculiarly for you and for me. We couldn't exist any other place if the earth was in a different location from the sun and vice versa. Being made in his image has revealed enough for us to believe and having withheld is simply because we are created beings we could never fully comprehend 
the existence of an incomprehensible God. Now the last one. The character of the universe, the creation of it. From the creation, we saw the creatures in it. And now the character. What kind of a universe is, is this? Please listen. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, Cain kills Abel. And God comes to Cain and says, Where is your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The question didn't need an answer. Then God said this, The blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground, from the land. The blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. This verse, my friends, is telling us something about the nature of the universe. You can put it in your Bible and read it later on. Numbers 35, verses 33 and 34. Let me read it, and you can, if you're taking notes. You shall not pollute the land, the land, the earth, the place where you have your feet set. You shall not pollute the land in which you live. For blood pollutes the land. Blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land. For blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. Now listen to this now, verse 34. You shall not defile the land in which you live. Talking about murder. Talking about violence. In the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwells in the midst of a people who live on the land. But I cannot dwell in a land where there is violence and murder. Why? Because God has created a moral universe. God has created a moral universe in that we cannot prostitute the land without offending God. When people talk about taking care of creation and so on, my friends, that's something that God gave to man before man ever thought of it. But the nature, the character of the universe is that nobody can do things that's wrong. Please, please listen to me. I thought of this thoroughly this past week. If God cannot dwell in a land, His presence dwells where there is not violence in the land, I shudder to think of this, and we abort millions of babies a year. My friends, could it be that God is no longer dwelling in our land? God said, I will not dwell in a land where a governor can sign a bill that says, if a baby is born out of the womb and you decide you don't want it, you can kill it, and, and, and you have a whole assembly just stand up and applaud that. I'm going to tell you why they can do it. Because God is absent. I will not dwell. And my friends, if we keep violating 
this principle. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. But thanks be to God. Listen, listen to this. I close with the reading of Romans chapter 8. And I can develop this a lot more, but time is gone. Romans 8, 19 to 21. Again, just listen as I read. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons or the children of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected to it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The land, my friends, this is what Peter says. We who live and wait for God look forward to a new creation wherein dwells Righteousness. The universe will continue to, to, to deteriorate because of the people who are corrupting it. But God has promised to his church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Does God exist? Look at what's happening to our world. Does God exist? Look at the world that God has given us. Does God exist? The evidence is in your heart and in your mind. Let us pray. Father, I am absolutely sure that I have just touched the tip of the iceberg. There is much, much, much more to the existence of God because we did not talk about the final revealing of God to man is the coming of Jesus Christ. But we understand that. That's why we're here this morning. I pray that whatever Lord is, has been left out from this morning, that God's Spirit will make known to those who are desirous of having every confidence in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God. But I pray that the evidence will, see in our, will be seen in our lifestyle, the way we live, that although we do not see Him with the naked eyes, yet we love Him and we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory as we behold our God. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.